and then maybe figure out who let all these dogs out. I've been asking myself all day, why must I chase the cat? <laughs> and then I, I had to come to an internal reflection that it's nothing but the dog in me. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Are they in the proper approach pattern for today? Here we are again, bro. Just you and me. Same kind of moon, same kind of podcast. Real number 10, remember? Whole platoon, 32 men chopping to me. We walk out, just you and me, nobody else. Right on top of them. Not a scratch, not a scratch. You know whoever got you? They're coming back again. When he does, I'm going to cut your podcast right into him. I'm going to cut your podcast into him. I am very confused as to the logistics of that. You can be as confused as you like. Still, it's still gonna happen. <laughs> just like this, like this podcast. Uh, whether or not you understand what's happening. Anyway, uh, welcome back to the podcast, everybody. I'm Jake. Well, I'm Skip. This is Dispatch Ajax, where we sure we cover a multitude of geek topics or just things we want to talk about. We explain geeky things to people who don't know. Or understand and also appeal to those who just want to know more like you i'm looking at you no no, it's, no everybody i'm talking to the, them all right not you they if i could not talk to you and just talk to them though mark me down for a big yes well then why am i even here oh we've gotten to the existentialist part of the podcast folks <laughs> oh i see now, today, uh, we're not hunting skips. We're hunting. What's that useless piece of skin around a podcast? <laughs> I, I just skip right over it. I don't know. <laughs> you should be proud that they literally have a button for you on every podcast app. I just pop up like uh, like in Mortal Kombat. I'm like, Dusty! <laughs> Babality. <laughs> Why couldn't they do that in one of these Mortal Kombat movies? Turn one of them into a baby. Well, I mean, the short films that were then made into a larger thing, those were good. Anyway, uh, another character that is on Mortal Kombat in the pantheon of this series is the Predator. Mm -hmm. And I would like to discuss the Predator a bit, if I may. May I, Skip? We're going to have a frank talk about the Predator. (laughs) This is like the sex talk. Uh, Predator, we need to sit down. Look, you're old enough now where you need to learn about the Predator. I was cleaning your room, and I found a bunch of spines, <laughs> lots of bones. Now, I was expecting this to happen just a little later when you were more prepared for this. That's really good, yeah. My dad, I remember us watching TV, and he was flipping around. It was like the brief periods where he had like free cable for a promotion or whatever. Mm-hmm. Came across, I, I remember looking back on it now, it was 100% Predator, and I was like, Dad, what's this? This looks interesting. He goes, I think that's Commando. And he immediately turned it <laughs> off. God damn, this is the Commando channel. 
He's like, he knew I was smart enough to know that it was obviously not Wizard of Oz or whatever, but at the same time, did not want me to watch Predator. Even though, why is Commando better? I don't... Well, I feel like there's a lot of people who who weren't as into Predator because they thought it was just Commando with an alien yeah, thing. Yeah, um, and they came out really close to each other, yeah, didn't they? Yeah, uh, I want to say it was maybe two, three years apart. I wanted to do this podcast because this month is the 35th anniversary of Predator. And next month, I believe, the new Predator film will be coming out. Prey. What? Really? Did you know about that? There's a new Predator film. It's called Prey. What? It is set in the 1800s in America. I like this. Where Predator is hunting some First Nations people. Ooh. It's also apparently the first film that will be done in, like, all in Apache. What? So you can watch it that way. Cool. It'll be on Hulu. Yeah, it is cool. Wow. Not too bad. Not too shabby, Hulu. Wow. Okay. Is Danny Glover in it? Danny Glover wasn't born yet. This is the 1800s, Skip. But he beat a predator. Lies. You can't prove that to me. Look, it doesn't matter what century it is. He's getting too old for this. <laughs> You know, that's true, actually. Personally, for me, uh, I can't remember when I first saw Predator. Um, I must have been pretty young, seven, seven to ten, somewhere around there, I would think. That's that's the key demographic for that for that film. Yeah. Yep. Uh, anybody going into second grade, they need to see Predator. Mm-hmm. Well, as a warning to the rest of you. <laughs> this is what's going to happen to you. You f*** with me on the playground. Mm-hmm. But I also don't remember a time when I didn't adore it but there was something like about the predator i never really felt scared but maybe that's just because i saw it so young because it's it's definitely supposed to be scary and as the years went by predator was always with me he was always behind me in the hazy shadows there's one set of footprints (laughs) 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 she's got those three like laser lines on your your forehead (laughs) predator is that you (laughs) Okay, who bought the Predator? <laughs> One time I turned into a Predator and these guys helped me, thank you. <laughs> Maybe got like a milk bone here or something. <laughs> but it's definitely become one of those films that uh, whenever I see it on the TV, I just glue my butt right to the couch. You know, like uh, a Die Hard uh, or Big Lebowski. Is there is there a film like that that, that does it? Yeah, you're you? running out of couches at this point, man. How else is my butt going to stick for the long term? Well, yeah, I'm the same way with Raiders. and uh, Raiders is a tough one to leave. I, I remember as a kid, there were two movies that I, I had on VHS that I would play the uh, just the first like 10 minutes of um, so I could memorize them. And I'd play them over and over and over again. It was Raiders and Star Trek VI just because I had them. Because if I was going to watch Star Trek 2, I knew it was going to be a thing where I ended up crying. And then I was going, eh, it's a whole <laughs> deal. So it was probably, I'd say Raiders probably. Star Trek, that's, is that Undiscovered Country? Yeah, it is. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, and the only reason I watched it is because it was the Sulu thing. And I thought that was really interesting. And it's and it's kind of like separate from the rest of the movie. So you can just watch that part. And then you don't have to be invested in the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, as an ADHD kid, that's convenient for me. <laughs> Lebowski, I'm with you on Lebowski though. I mean, obviously. Yeah. I mean it doesn't matter where you where you come into Lebowski, you're like, oh, you gotta watch right, this. I'm here. Yep. Yep. Sit down, bitches, we gotta watch this. 
<laughs> this is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. Yeah, right. When you get done with your uh, what have yous. <laughs> is this your podcast, Larry? Larry, is this your podcast? <laughs> we know. You're killing your father, Larry. We know Larry. this is your podcast, Larry. <laughs> we know this is your podcast, kid. <laughs> Just give me the money, asshole. <laughs> if you do not listen to podcasts, we cut off your Johnson. <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> Apparently, you're not a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that must be exhausting. Predator, I think, is a tremendous film. It's good. Um, and I think it has many layers that has kept me coming back um, to this killer onion over the years. <laughs> A lot of people think of this as a dumb action spectacle, and though it doesn't shy away from those elements, uh, I think it uses them for something more and something different. Um, a reevaluation and analysis of all that Predator has become commonplace. Um, a lot of people have, have kind of covered this ground, it's well trodden, but um, much of what I'm about to say... Uh, may not be as Im impactful as when I originally thought it up, <laughs> which uh, which was like 10 to 15 years ago. Uh, I don't remember the exact time. The first time we had a podcast. <laughs> sure. Yes. Then, whenever that was. Uh, Skip and I were uh, sitting on a dumpy bed in a <laughs> motel after a long day at San Diego Comic-Con. Mm -hmm. And after much alcohol... Chula Vista? And, I think we were in Chula Vista. Uh, I think we're... Mm, yes, I believe we were in Chula Vista. I think we stayed in Chula Vista... Once. And then the next time was like Mesa... I remember the Chula Vista one because I remember booking that hotel. Oh. Um, this one was a different one. Doesn't matter, though. Um, yeah. Because during this, uh, this geek-fueled diatribe mm -hmm. at 2 in the morning... Mm -hmm. Uh, I told you all about Predator, and... <laughs> Please, sir, tell me again. Tell me again about the Predator. <laughs> well, Sonny Jim, <laughs> back then it held much more awe and reverence, at least in my mind. Over the years, with both sadness and that the notions that were no longer my own had become so widespread, but also satisfaction that others also saw beyond the guns and pecks into the truth of Predator. So what I will lay out isn't quite unheard of, but I do feel passionate about it and want to explain it to you all. The homoeroticism of Predator. Well, that's a whole nother podcast. Well, we get into. I, mean, that's, that's the... that's, I, I literally read an article today that talked about Predator being a, uh, a homoerotic thesis on... AIDS of the 80s. Oh, interesting. Yeah, uh, it was quite fascinating. Uh, not everything I think checks out, but I love film theory sure. that can approach things from way I'm not seeing it. Yeah, I, I have a, a, a dear friend and she would always kind of ship everything, every movie she saw. Um, and it was always fun to talk to her about it. I was often like, I don't see it that way, but I do appreciate where you're coming from. Now, what I'd like to talk to you about today is that The Predator is a slasher horror film. And it's probably my favorite one at that. Hmm. Even over Halloween? Even over Halloween. Wow. Personally. Uh, now, 
That's not saying it's a better slasher film. At its core, it's not an action film. At its core, it's a slasher film. Interesting. That uses those action elements to set you up to do one thing and then go somewhere else. If you are unaware, here's a quick refresher of what a slasher film is. This is a horror subgenre, which tends to be about a masked killer stalking a group of people, often teens and more so women, uh, picking them off one by one until one final girl remains to confront and stop the killer. Usually the protagonist that hasn't been consuming alcohol, copying drugs, or being unclothed and copulating. Now, these faceless, unstoppable killers are often stronger than normal and tough to outsmart. They tend to prey upon their victims in an environment that the victims know and feel safe in. Uh, There has been a tendency to utilize the leering point of view of the killer shots as they hunt their would-be casualties, uh, often seeing them during their acts of immorality. And the final girl, uh, surviving by her moral code, uses it to defeat evil. Literally and metaphorically. Now, this was a genre that emerged from the chrysalis of Psycho, Hammer Killer films, and Giallo Nasties. And those are Italian horror films of the 60s and 70s of a certain variety. Slasher films are being made as far back as 1932 with 13 women. And though Black Christmas predated it by four years, Halloween in 1978 is recognized as the pinnacle and the true launch point for the genre. It would become one of the dominant and popular genres in horror throughout the 80s with the likes of Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, along with a slew of quote-unquote special day films. Things like Prom Night, Silent Night, Deadly Night, My Bloody Valentine's, Happy Birthday to Me, etc., etc. There are subgenres of slashers, though. Like, there's the... uh, I was thinking about this earlier today when I was reading through your notes. So, yes, like you were saying, the, the, the masked subject slowly stalking and chasing down the victims but then Uh there's the then there's the home invasion slasher where they've come into your house and you're trying to survive in your environment and then there's the reverse home invasion where you go into their environment and have to survive through their like traps and things like for instance like what was that movie uh uh, don't breathe is that the one where the blind guy yes although there are several movies like that yes I would say that's kind of like stretching the elements of, of slasherdom at that point, but it's it's an amorphous category. Well, I think those are, well, those are, I think those are just subgenres of slasher because they all they all fit the other slasher thing. It's just like the it's how the narrative's structured and how what the what the environment is, but it, they all still fall all of this the picking one off and then the final girl scenario. Yeah, I, and there are like even in the slasher, there's I mean Nightmare on Elm Street's considered a slasher, mm-hmm. but. You, He's not wearing a mask. You know, he makes jokes. It's a very different kind of character and setup. Killing someone in dreams than a Jason, you know, or Michael Myers. Well, but Jason's all over the place. And and Michael Myers is just because of... The- Even in space. <laughs> right, yeah, it's true. Well, and, and, and Michael Myers' thing is all over the place, too. But if you go by the first movie, then which is appropriate, then it makes more sense. See, and then you have stuff like, you know, Warlock. You know, it's kind of a folk slasher. Okay. Or Leprechaun, you know? Hmm. Yeah, I mean... Hmm. Wishmaster? Yeah, I guess they... Well, no, I, I wouldn't... Well, I, I don't know if I'd say Wishmaster, because I, I, it fits some of the criteria mm-hmm. of slasher, but not a, 
a lot of them. Only in a few of those movies is there a final girl. Is there a one? You know, picking one off at a time. It doesn't. It really doesn't really happen in all of well, those movies. Uh, Leprechaun maybe not as much. No. Wishmaster it does. Uh, Warlock it does. Hmm. Well, well, then you could make the same argument with a Hellraiser. Um, I wouldn't say the first Hellraiser fits really? at all. No. I mean, really, who's he? Who's he killing? Well, he's after the uh, what's her name, the girl. Yeah, but he's, but he's not really, he's not really stalking her in the same way. And you have the stuff with the the mother. I don't, I don't think Hellraiser, at least not in the first film, works. And I would even question whether the second film. Uh, I think maybe I, as it goes I, further I into the, the I don't, genre, the second film it this it does kind of ruins the first movie, but. In the first one, it's it's kind of structured like Scream, where like you have this outside force and there are these the sins of the father, whatever, or, like causing the thing to happen, and then the girl has to survive it, and she's the final girl, and she ends up being the final girl because in all well, of those, but movies, she's like the only girl. I mean, the uncle, you know, he and, escapes. The, and the mother, right? That's. There's no one else being killed. I mean, there's there's a whole lot. Well, the the, the of new stepdad dude, the, the new stepdad, he gets killed. Then he cut his face off and wear it. Yeah, yeah. Uncle Frank does that. I don't know. I I I, I think that one's probably the most contestable of okay. all of these. Okay, let's posit this. But that's that's beside the point. Okay, let's posit this, and and this will help you define. Lyra, stop it! <laughs> I said I was sorry. Well, if only she did. I give you two bones. Could you just not get in all of my electrical equipment? She's been home alone all day. She keeps setting up traps for burglars. This isn't the deathliest game. Right? <laughs> or that Christmas one. That was pretty good. Dial code Santa Claus. No, no, that was not the one. Deadly games? No, not deadly games. The the one where uh, they... Home Alone? The one where they do the actual... They reference Home Alone and they do the paint can and it actually... Oh, uh, Better Watch yeah, Out? Yeah, Better Watch Out, yeah. Which is good. Which I, I saw on a list of LGBTQ horror. Interesting. And I was like, well, what part of that film does that fit into? Are we saying that, like, two of the boys who are doing the deeds... Are they in a relationship? Because they don't seem to be. I'm just, I'm just struggling to find the connection. There. I am curious. I'd be, I'd be curious to see people's reasoning behind that. It's, it's kind of like with the, um, the terrible, the Mummy with Brendan Fraser. I know several people who say that movie is their sexual awakening as a bisexual. Yeah, no, I get that. I think that that film is chock full of hunky dudes and and sexy ladies that are strong and powerful. It's got two sexy ladies. One of two sexy ladies. One of which was at least two sexy dudes. One of which was the first Marta in uh, Arrested Development. Hot Marta. Yeah, yeah, Hot Marta. Yeah, I'm Team Hot Marta all the way. But like Brendan Fraser, really? Hey, it's not my bag. But like Joe Dirt says, it's not about what I like; it's what the consumer likes. Jesus Christ, and Brendan Fraser. We've now hit rock bottom. You're quoting Joe Dirt. That's it. Podcast over. <laughs> See you, <ya>, folks. <laughs> my real point is. Based on your argument so far that you've presented, wouldn't couldn't you say the exact same thing about Alien? Uh, 
partially. Alien is trying for a... It's using some of those elements, but it's also... It's trying to hit different horror themes. The same way that The Thing does kind of pick off people one by Mm -hmm. one in a way, but it's not about picking those people off one by one. It's about making so nobody trusts each other and nobody knows who the thing is. I think there's much more having to do with body horror and... There's no motivation behind the killings. Because why, why did they they never, except for the weird, stupid garbage in the prequels... Well, are, okay, here's here's Why a, here's does Alien kill the people at all? It's not eating them. Let's say it's not a xenomorph. Let's say it's a giant tiger. Mm-hmm. Same scenario. Okay. Is that a stalker? Is that a slasher film? Did you see... What's the name of that movie? Ghost in the Darkness? Ghost in the Darkness? Yeah. yeah. You could make an argument. About you the, could, the man-eaters of Sodom? Yeah, you could make an argument for it. You could, but does it feel right? So, slasher films went on to fall out of fashion, straying into almost comedic realm, then providing the scares they were originally intended for, only then to have a resurgence, and then somewhat recede again. But during the 80s, the knife-wielding killer tended to reign supreme. At the same time, another genre was bursting onto the scene. The time of the Ubermensch had arrived as muscle-bound, huge, gun-toting forces of nature blew a hole in the box office. What? No, I agree with you. I'm just that's it was a gross oh. part of of Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, especially like when Commando can kill a hundred people and nobody bats an eye, mm-hmm. but if you show a, a nipple, people's heads explode like scanners. These larger-than-life heroes were exemplified by Arnold Schwarzenegger, a striated platonic ideal, if there ever was one. From Conan to the Terminator to Commando, he was bigger than anyone else, including his other 80s action comrades, your Stallones, your Dolph Lundgrens, your Jean-Claude Van Dams, etc. These new versions of the gun-toting Adonises were a far cry from... Steve McQueen's and Clint Eastwood's and Gene Hackman's and Charles Bronson's of their day. Lee Marvin. It, Lee Marvin. Great example. These were not muscle-bound freaks toting chain guns. Uh, those are just real dudes out there doing the do. <laughs> Both the slasher and the brawny action films were products of their times. Reagan's America, one of greed, excess, and escapism. In that way, in 1987, they were combined for max effect. It was so ideal that no one was able to see its true essence. So Predator, the tale of a military cadre of elite soldiers, dropped into the South American rainforest on a rescue mission, only to be double-crossed by the government that sent them there before mercilessly being hunted by an unseen alien being of vast strength, prowess, and weaponry until only Arnold's Dutch is left to have a final stand. It's pretty much a masterpiece and a slasher film that works so well. So here's some elements that I think really denote slasherdom. Okay, so we have our team. This is a group of military men, killers, yes, but in the realm of action heroes and military operations, this is a rescue team. They go out of the way to state that in the moral sense, theirs is a mission of righteousness, and it is only when they're utilized without their knowledge as expendable assassins by the CIA do they then It's a pretty good commentary on exactly what government policy was in the 70s and 80s. This machismo, these are the guys that are the peacemakers, and their entire thing is to basically go in and clean up the mess of whatever 
garbage the U.S. government has wrought in the <laughs> Central and South America and act like it's somebody else's fault. Yeah. And a thing you did a lot in the 80s, especially, was that you would have these killers who just go in and murder multitudes of people, but they did it for the goodness. So the, in Predator, there is some type of arms deal and there are like crowd race of jungle rebels in South America. We don't really figure out who it is. They seem to be backed by Russian forces. I guess. But because they were cabinet ministers who got kidnapped beyond where they're supposed to be, these American soldiers are coming to save the day and rescue those people from the dastardly South American drug running, gun toting. It's a very toast, 80s, whatever very 80s villain. Similar to like... Yeah, uh, some similar to like what they did with Rambo, where uh, originally Rambo is broken man. He's been destroyed by what he had to do and what was done to him in Vietnam. He comes back to America. He can't find a place. He can't find a home. He is a shell of who he was. He is then persecuted by the system. And then it's only when the American government comes in is he able to stop, but they don't actually help him. In fact, in the second one, they just put him again on the quote-unquote right side of things, and they send him to uh, – it's Iran, right? To save the day. Uh, I think he's trying to save mm -hmm. more POWs. Is that right? You know, it doesn't matter that he happened to be helping out the Mujahideen. That's Rainbow 3, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's – yeah. Well, what's happening? First Blood Part 2. He goes back to First Vietnam Blood Part two? and rescues – Oh uh, yeah, and yeah, he rescues more POWs in three, so in in two, so he just gets to murder Vietnamese people as much as he can, and then again, he's the the uber good guy in three because you're trying to stop the Russian menace, I suppose. Yeah, it's in Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah, and and it's the the Russians are they have people there, and they're like supplying them with weapons and choppers and. And to, to stop the encroaching... Yeah, that is kind of part and parcel of U.S. military policy back then. Not in a good way. That's why Al-Qaeda started. That's that's right. Rambo did it. Well, and it's never more pertinent than when you think about the first movie, where he literally doesn't kill anybody. You think about Rambo and his bloody rampages, he doesn't kill a single person mm -hmm. in First Blood. A couple of people die sort of by their own mistakes, but he doesn't kill anybody. Nope. Yeah, technically, I think one person dies. That's the guy the who's trying to shoot him from the helicopter. Is that is that um, Jodon Baker or is that uh, M. Emmett Walsh? It's somebody like that. It's a stand-in. If they were doing a made-for-TV version of Blood Simple, this guy would have been in it. A second-rate M. Emmett Walsh. This will change the fate of humanity. All must know. Jack Starrett. Okay. No idea. That's who it was. Uh, he was Gabby Johnson in Blazing Saddles. Oh, oh, I know who that is. Okay, all right. Mm-hmm. You had Dennehy kind of like yeah. hovering around that area. He had Jodon Baker vibe. Yeah. His Jodon Bakerness was like spreading throughout the group. <laughs> like, like the thing. <laughs> Which one of these is really Jodon Baker? You don't know until he does the blood. So, back to Predator. Mm-hmm, sorry. No, you're fine. This is perfectly fine. So we have our likable group just trying to do the right thing, at least in the context of the film. Maybe not for greater sociopolitical <laughs> aims mm -hmm. or, you know, what the larger ramifications of Hollywood complex might want to portray. 
And for the first 30 minutes, they do so with extreme prejudice. We get our uber-masculine murders, maximum firepower, monumental explosions, and unstoppable badassery. So the most telling moment is the handshake between Arnold Schwarzenegger and Carl Weathers. Mm-hmm. You know, the meme... Oh, you mean just showing the machismo? That is the yeah. ultimate representation of exactly what you're talking. Or you know, I always think of the bit where there are like three guys that find themselves on the wrong side of Jason Ventura's Blaine, and he just unloads a minigun. There is just dust and smoke, and mm-hmm. he like shoots the chains of these barrels next to him. He's killed them 70 times over. It's overkill to the mm-hmm. max. And really, it's somewhat an artistic distillation of the military excesses of the 80s, which was on display. Um, Not necessarily as silly or over-the-top as Commando, but still packed with the Arnold Quips and the Force-multiplied might. Those are the good guys. Those fools are the good guys. (laughs) And they're the most, like... uh, Well, you know how they're the good guys. They have the biggest muscles. Exactly. They have the biggest veins. Might makes right. Because apparently Vince McMahon makes all these movies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Vince wishes. So our giant muscle-clad heroes who are hunted by the ultimate predator, a Yauja, which apparently is what the race of predators are called. So I was looking up fanfic of Predator, and this kept coming up. And I was like, oh, is this like one? Is this like Yowie? Uh, Yahweh? um, But no, not Yahweh. (laughs) Yahweh bin Yahweh, the predator? So a predator or a Yauja is a hulking muscular creature masked and alien in every way. He has a plasma cannon, but it is the wrist gauntlet blades that really strike a primal fear. He kills, takes trophies of the bodies, and especially desires skulls and spines, the most phallic of bone structures. (laughs) These men he is hunting are the biggest and the baddest. They have the ultimate firepower and are in their element, no matter how dangerous the jungle or other soldiers might be. Their surroundings are just another danger to them, but they take it in stride. They've been here before, they'll be here again. But they have been set up upon being across the border, separating the victims and their killer. Uh, Similar circumstances can be seen as parents away during a holiday, maybe they're stuck at a summer camp, etc. But unlike camp counselors or teen girls babysitting, these are the ultimate of trained military might, full of guns and guts. Nothing's going to stop these guys, right? Roids. <laughs> Roids ain't going to stop these guys, right? No, but I mean, it's a gun Roids ain't going to stop these guys, right? <laughs> don't hit me, don't hit me. <laughs> don't make me. But once the predator starts killing, uh, he gets two of their crew and they utilize their entire arsenal to literally pulverize and lay waste to the jungle, but only to hit nothing. Their hard and heavy, most masculine elements are impotent. All that big, hard, penetrating kill power is useless. Throbbing AK 47. I mean, really? Yeah. Honestly. It's hard to think of anything they could do to emasculate these men more. They take away their one huge, phallic, pulsing, hard, awesome manliness, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean anything. So in The Predator, really, violence is substituted for sex. 
at least in the actual act. Uh, the predator creature only wants to kill those that kill themselves. Their violence, however set up to be moralistic on the tension of compass of the plot, is still their fatal flaw. It is set up in the film as being necessary for sport that the predator would then kill only those with weapons. But if you delve into the subtext of the genre of the film, their sexual nature is their armament, and it's quite prevalent. In the slasher genre, sex is a big taboo. Like, if you've ever seen Scream, right, right. if you have sex, you're going to die. So when you switch, you take out sex, at least in the most literal way, and you kind of substitute violence as one element of that sex, then those who do that violence, who kill themselves, mm-hmm. are available to become victims themselves. Now, sure. that's not the only sexual element that is paired. We have the knives as, or the machete as phallus and all that. Yeah, that's the thing. Yes, you can read all of their their guns. The chain gun who's directly in front of his cock area. Well, he is a goddamn sexual Tyrannosaurus. So. Indeed, he is. Mm-hmm. So that's sexual element and who deserves to die is paired in another way. Hawkins, who's played by Shane Black, is the first of the group to be killed. He is also the loudmouth, dirty joke machine of the first 30 minutes. To the delight of, well... Himself, I guess. You could read that as a more overt example of wearing his sexual depravity on his sleeve and thus being ripe to murder first, despite being the scrawniest and least imposing of the bunch. The second kill is Jesse the Body Ventura's Blaine, a trying so hard it hurts machismo spewing bigot whose need to chew tobacco, throw around the F word, and swagger through the trees with the biggest gun since... Ever, in a sense, these are the two mo- these are the two most immoral crew members, and are thus the first two to die. Mm-hmm. The other way this is shown is in the gaze. Now, a lot of slasher films have been derided as being misogynistic, providing exhibitionistic TNA fodder for horny boys flocking to the theater, and providing a woman-hating outlet for violent fantasies to come to fruition, as women are murdered in brutal ways for ninety minutes, usually. I think there could be something more to be said with that, seeing as the fan base of slasher films is so often female, and the presence of the final girl exacting her power by eliminating the slasher at the end gives a feminist power to many of these characters' films, but that gaze is definitely there, that male gaze. And a similar such gaze is prevalent in Predator, but it's from a Playgirl-esque display or a homoerotic fantasy come good in the flesh. This film is rippling the celluloid with beef and testosterone. From the first five minutes, as Skip said, we get the oh-so-meme-worthy handshake-slash-arm wrestle. As Carl Weathers and Arnold Schwarzenegger duel midair, their bulky, shiny arms glistening and writhing like two huge, veiny hogs wrapping around each other. And like that, it's a constant display of slick, muscly action. Biceps bulging as they shoot their arsenal, lift up trucks. This is doubled when they decide to try and trap the Predator. Now everyone is shirtless, for no reason, bustled (laughs) up against each other and using their masculine musculature to slowly, painfully, purposefully bend the wood and them to their will. It only furthers itself as Billy faces his final destiny in a psychosexual pain daddy way, stripping himself of his gun 
and his jacket, only to slice a line on his strapping chest with the biggest machete knife I bet the prop department could find. Mostly shirtless dudes who seem to be dripping in baby oil. Mm -hmm. Squeezing each other, pulling on ropes, just finding any way to flex and move in synchronous. In the sexual subtext, Carl Weathers stripping off his jacket after saying, does this Boy Scout stuff really going to work? He's like, oh, well, you could help out. He doesn't need to take off his jacket, but he does. And then he's Mm -hmm. right beside Arnold pulling, flexing his muscles. That is just for eye candy and to get your blood pumping. He's doing it because it's hot and he's got to do work. And maybe he doesn't want his grenades getting in the way. Who knows? The same way, like Bailey's doing it because he's he sees his final destiny and he decides to just have him. He throws away his gun. He throws away all of his other equipment. It's just him, his medicine bag, and his machete. And he's going to go against the Predator one-on-one. I mean, that's what I'm sure it's in the script for. Bareback, yeah. Yeah, well. It, well, just his machete and, and that. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. So he can he can stick it into him. What does the Predator represent in that context, then? Well, in, in, in this context... All of these are your sorority girls who they just had their boyfriend over and they they just had sex or they're coming out of the shower and they don't need to have their breast bare, but they are because that's what the film desires. And the same way you're having, instead of coming out of the shower and dropping your towel, you decide to, to take off your jacket and arm wrestle each other. So the first kill, he slashes and we see, uh blood splashes onto Anna's face. Okay. The second kill is Blaine and he penetrates him with this plasma beast, mm-hmm. you know, eviscerating him. Then we don't have another kill until Mac, who's been shaving his head the whole time. It's very focused on his face and his head. Mm-hmm. He sneaks up behind him and well, he sneaks up in front of him. There's like a slit through the tree and then he penetrates that slit to mm-hmm. then blow out the back of his head. Mm-hmm. Then we see him against Dylan. Dylan! <laughs> and he shoots off the arm. He shoots off the the right arm. That was the arm that was the big veiny dick wrestling with Arnold. He emancipates him from that arm, essentially castrating that manly appendage, and then lifts him up off the ground by skewering him with his own bladed weapon. Then we get Billy, but we don't see Billy die. That happens off screen. All we hear is the yell. So are you postulating that each of these kills then are sexual conquests? I think within the realm of slasherdom, it's so often used by the killer as being a psychosexual tool. Mm -hmm. One might say to replace their lacking sexuality. They use uh, a knife or machete or darts or a scythe, whatever, to to penetrate their victims Mm -hmm. in the way that they don't get to sexually express themselves. You often have characters who don't seem to have a sexuality, a Michael Myers, a Jason, but they're using those bladed weapons to penetrate their victims who have Mm -hmm. been exploiting and flaunting their sexuality. So he's emasculating them? I think the first emasculation is by making their weapons useless. Their weapons do nothing. Their weapons are their main form of masculinity, of having agency. 
you neuter them by taking that away. And then to take these these huge buff men, often shirtless, and to be bigger, to be stronger, and to have a bigger blade, mm-hmm. that's the next level of emasculation. Trying to unify the metaphors here. So when he kills Billy, for instance, it, that's a sexual conquest, right? He's conquered the sexuality of the other I mean, character. You, you could possibly read it into that way, but it's also... If you're taking the character of, say, a Jason, as he goes throughout Manhattan or Camp Crystal Lake or whatever, are you saying that he is sexually – is him killing Kevin Bacon a sexual conquest? No, no, I, I don't think so, but because that's what I'm saying. You're, you're positing that that it has to be a sexual metaphor. No, I, I'm positing that if you're going to say that the actions – and the context of the characters that are sexualized, that are homoerotic sexualized, then you have to also assume that for the Predator in those scenarios. I don't think so. I think if, if we were on Camp Gay Crystal Lake and there was a bunch of guys who had the same sexuality they're displaying and they are killed in similar fashion, I don't think it has to be a sexual conquest of that killer. If you're looking into it, like it's all about male machismo and it's it's very homoerotic, right? And all these characters interacting with each other fit into this this framework of metatextual homoeroticism. And also the predators kills that play into that. He emasculates you them. Could read he it that he way, emasculates right? them, right? Okay. So then in that scenario, there has to be a point to what the predator's doing. Right. So like he has to if he's going to interact with those characters in that scenario, then he has to actually have a have a motivation within that. Well, if you look at it as his sexual conquest, the same way that pickup artists might have his his list of ladies he's bagged, the Predator literally takes trophies from his kills. Mm-hmm. He takes a trophy from from Billy. It's the only time we see him actually mm-hmm. take a trophy from one of these guys. Um tearing his spine out and then polishing it and and caressing it. Right. So Loving like if we're saying that the, all of those acts are acts of emasculation, that means that the predator is, is a participant in this meta context. So there has to be a motivation for that character within that context. You can't just use him in and out and not explain why it does what it does. If he's part of the metaphor, then you have to f- figure out why he fits in the metaphor, right? I would imagine that, yes, his penetration, these emasculating of these characters for the Predator is his sexual conquest of these creatures. Because he's still a character within that context. He's not just some, like, outside force uh, or outside, like, I don't know, concept. He's no deus ex machina. He's actually participating in this, no. right? So, Yeah, no, I, I think you could even read to, into that, uh, along with that gaze, is you get the Predator's heat vision, which is kind of a, a voyeurism at play. He's watching his men from the shadows, and he sees their hot, blooded heat mm. signatures. Go ahead and um, check it and see. And that's kind of like, you know, the voyeur is a sexual state, watching another for lustful purposes, staying hidden until it's time to emerge and feel the ecstasy of being mm-hmm. seen, and to then accomplish his deepest desires. To get off. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know. I mean, Predator's, predator's got to get off. Yeah, totally. So after the Predators strip them of their phallic firepower, taking long, hard, bony trophies... <laughs> Does he only then present himself to our final girl here, Arnold? The creature's bigger, taller, more muscular, and much tougher. Arnold must run and hide to find a way to confront this monster. And I think we get 
a true subservience as he runs away and then is crawling on his belly in the mm-hmm. mud till the predator finds him. And once the predator does find him, does he reveal his face? And it is much uglier than the previous emotionless mask. Now, this is a reptilian and insectoid mix, but it is this vaginal mouth that is open and ready to dominate our... I'm glad you said that, because I was going to say it if you didn't. It's very vaginal. Oh, yeah. This is a nigh-transsexual mix of brawny maleness and the creeping intimate feminine mixed. A feminine figure that not only physically dominates the man, but comes with the protruding teeth of the v- vaginal mandibles, a harking back to the vagina dentata, a folktale and psychological hangup where the fear of emasculation and castration is prevalent. A vagina that eats and kills. Like the movie Teeth? Yes, exactly like the movie Teeth. Yes. This is a vagina that can fight back and forcibly remove the man's power at the source. A Samson and Delilah a little bit more explicit. I think this psychosexual design of this creature and its universal cohort, the Xenomorph from Aliens, I think this leads a lot to their enduring presence and their fascination in the zeitgeist, where you have a vaginal male and a male female that penetrates. There's so much psychosexual stuff going on in both mm-hmm. of those films. and. It's, it, yeah, and I don't think they're quite the same. Oh, no. I feel like they're two sides of the same coin that make them all that much more interesting to look at. Because especially if you if you compare this, uh, what they came up with kind of last minute, compared to the original Predator design, which is kind of like this big red lobster <laughs> with John claude Van Damme in the costume. Oof. Um, so with a, pr- a Predator that's five feet tall? Okay, great. Yeah, literally. They decided to go a completely different route. All for the betterment of everyone. Yeah, Alien was the same way. It, it, it was Star Beast before it was Alien. Exactly. You know, and then you didn't get the phallic nature of the inner mouth. Oh, by the way, just as a side note, I we rewatched the Neverending Story recently. Okay. Did you say your name? I sure did. It is Moonchild. Go back and look at the uh, the scenes where they call Atreyu to the ivory tower, and look at the entrance to the uh, tower. Google it right now. Uh, entrance to the Ivory Tower. Never-ending story. This flower thing? Oh, you think it's a flower, do you? (laughs) I'm just saying that's... It's 100% a vagina. It even has a labia. Oh, okay. I was seeing it from a different angle. (laughs) I even like how it kind of has a clit there. Yes, it has a labia. It's, It's got the... Yeah, it's... Oh, man. So is this some him developing his sexuality, you know, in the lacking presence of his dead mother? Well, I don't want to I don't want to make it about parents and, and gender roles because that doesn't. I, I don't want to say I don't want to say that at all. I, I think he's just kind of an awkward kid who doesn't know who he is. Think about the commentary about Treyu being very androgynous. Mm hmm. And then Artax sinks into the mud, the darkness that is impending, that's coming. That is his puberty that is encroaching on the virginal landscape of his childhood. I don't think you're wrong. Just leave Artax out of this. I literally, I had to leave the room. See, my question is, what do the rock biters mean in that context? Hmm? I think it's too literal to, to be a metaphor. We are safe. We are safe of a sexual metaphor. And then you have these tall, beautiful sphinxes with their breasts out who are intent on killing if he doesn't get it right. You have to do the right thing. Uh-huh. To, you have to be pure of mind to get through these gates. 
Oh, you know? no, no, that's that's some serious commentary. Mm hmm. Yep, I get that. That is 100% sexual awakening, and, mm-hmm. and it's very clear. Uh, no, it's 100% a vagina for a kid's movie. Yeah, and he has to say the name of his dead mother so that he can move on and find his own way to be a sexual awakened being. Mm hmm. I'm with you. I, that is basically what the premise of the film is. I don't know about the book, but... I actually own the book, but I haven't read it. Um, but I will. I'll let you know what happens. It's supposed to be great, but... I... So Arnold becomes the final girl after he sends the former woman captive, Anna, away without the weapons. To the chopper. <laughs> he must confront the predator, and he gets his butt kicked. But in an almost folk horror way, he goes to the jungle for his power. He uses the mud to camouflage... And makes rudimentary wooden weapons to confront this El Queache Trofios de los Hombres, meaning the demon who makes trophies of men. A local folk monster that hunts men when it is very hot. And like so many other slashers, when the trap is set for him, he zigs rather than zags, sensing the danger, only for Arnold's last resort to be utilized, saving his life and thus crushing the predator with his own giant wooden phallus. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot going on, Pre- from the minimalistic but memorable characters, the genre shifts that keep you on your toes, and the wonderful design of the creature and its mysterious aims. I'm not prepared to say it's the best slasher, but like I said before, it's probably my personal favorite. And a film part of the ultimate genre-smashing horror action triumvirate, Terminator, Aliens, Predator. Hmm. Aliens, specifically? Aliens. I think Alien is just a horror sci-fi, but Aliens is action sci-fi horror. Same way that Terminator is action sci-fi horror and Predator is action sci-fi horror. I agree that those are the way that we define those, and rightfully so. But at the same time, when you brought up your criteria for Predator, I just kept thinking about how Alien kind of fits into the same. It's eerily similar in that. Yeah, they're definitely like. They pick them off one up one by one. There's a final girl. It doesn't have any other motivation than to kill. Obviously, it, you could it, you could maintain that it's a literally a slasher, like with its method of kill. It hunts them down. It just lurks from the outside. Of course, you never see it through their vision, but not every slash is like that. So I think you can make a solid argument about Alien being that. I think the the thing that changes that is it just feels like much more of a monster movie. I mean, it's for me, it always felt closer to a Jaws okay. than it does a Jason. Okay. And maybe that's because it's, it feels much more animal as opposed to Predator, which is overtly humanoid. Humanoid. Well, and it feels like it has humanoid aims, it's using tools. Mm-hmm. I mean, otherwise, it feels too much like a creature that is born to kill without a rhyme or reason. That's just what it does. As opposed to, I feel like slashers, it's much more purposeful. Yeah, Alien feels much more like a kind of a, a haunted house monster movie. I mean, I think you bring up a lot of really good points about that. Um, it opens up a lot of other questions about a lot of the other genre films, though, uh, which is 
not a bad thing, but something we really have to think about. Um, what constitutes a slasher? What constitutes genre bending? You know, because I mean, like mm-hmm. Alien Predator alone, well, especially Alien, uh, what Alien is, you're right, a horror sci fi. And Blade Runner is a horror, is a sci fi noir. And Predator is like an action sci fi horror. Uh, yeah. But I think at least what, well, I would say the things like between genre, like mashups um, and like genre switches, mm-hmm. um, because Predator definitely starts like it, you get on the track, this is an action film, and then it takes a left turn. And like, oh no, this is a horror film. Sure. Um, which is, which is. I mean that's that's the tasty pudding in the middle. That's what that's what really makes this film work, I think. Oh, absolutely. Is that you're you're brought one way and you're shifted another. I think Alien also you kind of get like this is exploring this is a science fiction, you know, they're on a ship. Um it doesn't like go that long before you start get the horrific elements. Mm-hmm. I mean it's much more designed just to be a horror and not like to switch the genre. Um, Anya, when you when you're not expecting, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> you're talking about the house that Quentin Tarantino built. If you want to talk about genre switching, this is not the house that Jack built. Oh, is it the Lars Van Trier one? Yeah, that's. Did you ever see that? I you know I haven't. I keep seeing it. And I'm like, maybe I should watch I it. I don't. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, it's 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 something, but it didn't look that good. Fine. So I was like, man, I just don't think it's it's a necessary watch for you. I did that for you. You don't have oh, to. Oh, I, I appreciate that. I do that with a lot of like low budget movies where I'm like, I'll watch this so I, I can explain it to Jake so he doesn't have to waste his time watching it. Yeah, I saw a movie like that just recently. The tagline was Jaws meets Saw. Oh my god. Saws. And I was like, okay. I'll I'll see this. All right, nobody else needs to. Okay. <laughs> yep, that's how we work. I just sent you a picture link. Oh, yes, that's, yeah. That is, wow. Wow, that's a wow. that's a clitoris right there. Yeah, I thought you were talking about... I was. Then I saw that picture. The, the tower. Yeah, yeah, that is... Wow. That's got the whole kit and caboodle. That's got everything. Man, see, this is one of those things where, like, you see the film as an adult, and you're missing these... Oh, big time. I mean, I get it. It's about sexual awakening. I don't think there's enough actual academic study about that film. In that sense, I think there should be, but well, maybe you'll hear that on this podcast okay. in the near oh, future. It might be. We'll polish our Orin, and then you can. I'll read the book too, so I can I can. Comp- Do you have more? We could go on and on. You can read so much into this film. I think any film of not necessarily exceptional quality, but of worthiness, will have enough elements and layers that you can pick apart and you can read in a multitude of ways. I think that gives them a richness and allows for different contextual understandings. Mm-hmm. I think my general thesis of the slasherdom and why I feel it's a, a slasher and a good slasher at that for Predator is there. It's a valid argument and it sparks a good debate whether or not. Judge me, Judge Dredd. Yay or nay? I can't give you a yay or nay. Yay or nay. How many years in the ISO cube do I get? Mm, your fate is tied into Planet Hollywood, as far as I'm concerned. 
<laughs> so is Corey Feldman's. Oof, that's rough. At least you didn't say Corey Haim, because we already know his fate. Yeah, um, back to work on the Haim gang. That's what you do in the afterlife. They chain you to Corey Haim, and you have to break rocks. Oh, that is hell. <laughs> there is no God. <laughs> you have to smash up VHSs of Dream a Little Dream. Of License to Drive or whatever. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Uh, it's just a big pile of VHS you have to... That's all it is. But anyway, uh, so that is a Predator podcast. <laughs> we don't only do Predator. We do other things, as you should have heard by listening. Mostly Highlander. There's lots of Highlander in there. It's like five episodes. You, you never know when you get another Predator podcast, you know? Yeah. But after this pod, you can go look up the trailer for Prey. Actually, it comes out August 5th. I'm assuming this podcast will be out before then, August 5th, 2022, because you may be listening to this year XV99-bleepblop <laughs> on your magnet crystals with your hyper-design drives. Mm. It's like having to explain the iPad to my mother. That's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, on your scrying cube with the wizards that are speaking to you, he's coming back. Predator? And he's coming for y'all. You know who else is coming? Us! We'll be out with you next week or sometime thereafter with a new podcast. Make it sound like we're doing um, a live show. I wish. It's always live. It's live to us. It's live in my heart. And it's live in the ears right now. I feel like we could do a lot more talking about this. I'd like to get into Predators. Well, and even Predator 2, to be honest. We can leave the Predator out of it, but... Um, no, uh, well, if we're doing the other ones, we might as well do them all. Yeah, that's true. We could talk about all of them within the context of your premise. And I think Predators does a really good job of uh, counteracting a lot of that stuff, or at least acknowledging it. Yeah, I think a problem with a lot of the other sequels, it they, they kind of miss the point. Yeah, well... I mean, yeah, in a lot of ways. Um, it's like Terminator. You, yeah. you don't have, yeah. It's a lot of issues. There's a lot of not having the right characters, not understanding the juxtaposition of the Predator and this. They get it wrong. They get it wrong. Rodriguez at least kind of got the premise and then wanted to reverse it. Like, at least he understood it. That movie might be flawed, but I mean, like, at least he gets, at least he gets it. You know what I mean? Him and what is it? Nimrod. Nimrod. It's Nimrod, I think. Anyway, we'd like to thank you all for listening. Mm -hmm. If you wouldn't mind liking, subscribing, sharing. I mean, if you dig what we're doing, maybe even give us a five vaginal mouth review on <laughs> iTunes or your podcaster of choice. It's a weird way to say that. That is how the algorithm tends to display us to the masses. Out of context, vaginal mouth does not really help our standing. So... Just, I'm just. Is someone cutting this out and replaying it? Because that's their own fault. Well, they made the poor choice of that. Mm hmm. Maybe it's weird that we focused on that. Oh, well, you know, for Skip and myself, mm -hmm. this has been Dispatch Ajax. Sure has. And. Make sure you support your local comic shops and retailers. And on behalf of both of us, we'd like to say Godspeed, Fair Wizards. Yay! Huzzah! Huzzah, we done did it. We done did it good. Please, go away.